Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome once again to our study in 1 Peter. If you'd like to follow along, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 8 through 11. And the title of our lesson this morning is The Roaring Lion. Let's go ahead and read our verses. Peter says, Be sober-minded and be watchful. For your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, we are uh, coming to the end of this, uh, this magnificent letter. Um, in fact, uh, next week will be our, our final lesson. And uh, as we've said numerous times, uh, this letter is predominantly about suffering. But here, near the end, for the very first time in this entire letter, Peter mentions Satan. He's not mentioned Satan uh, up to this point, right here at the end. And he's doing so in order to address the relationship between uh, Satan, suffering, and the saints. How, did, how does this relationship work? Now, before we get going, I want to talk a little bit uh, about Satan's methods. Um, and here's the first thing you need to understand about Satan. His goal is to destroy faith. That's, that's what he wants to do. He wants to take as many people with him into eternal damnation as he possibly can. Now, what method he uses to do that, he doesn't really care. If suffering accomplishes that, then he'll use suffering. If success accomplishes that, then he'll use success. Both of these are in his toolbox, and, and he's happy uh, to employ either one. Now, the way Satan works is uh, there's, there's, there's places all over the Bible. We just saw it in our, our, our study a few, uh, a few months ago in the book of Job. We, we saw how he worked there. But one of the best places that you can see uh, Satan's methods is in the temptation of Christ. And I want to take a look at those three temptations uh, this morning. Let's look at the first one. We're going to read in Matthew chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. And the tempter came to him, and he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. Now, what I want you to see, what he says here. He says, If you're the Son of God, why are you suffering? If you're really the Son of God, why are you hungry? Why are you going through this? You should use your status as a son of God. Use your power to end your suffering. Now, listen, do you see the correlation with us? What Satan wants to say to us is, is very similar today. If you're a child of God, why are you suffering? Just use your faith. That's what some of the prosperity teachers will say. tell us. Just use your faith. End your suffering. You shouldn't be suffering. This is the exact same thing that Satan said to Jesus some 2,000 years ago. Now, I want you to see how Jesus answers. And he answers with a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, he took that quote out of Deuteronomy 8. Now, I want to go read the whole thing right out of Deuteronomy. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. He humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, if you read Deuteronomy 8, what it tells us is that God let Israel suffer. He let Israel hunger and thirst so that they would learn a lesson. And the lesson was this, that life, true life, eternal life, doesn't come from physical things doesn't come from what you eat or what you drink. True life, eternal life, comes through the Word of God and our obedience to it. So, so even if Israel were to die in the wilderness of hunger, they would still live. Because again, eternal life doesn't come from the physical, it comes from the spiritual. That was the lesson that God was trying to teach. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying to Satan. He's basically saying to Satan, even if I die from this hunger, you can't touch me. Even if I were to die from this hunger, I'm still going to live because my life, my eternal life, comes from the Word of God, not from what I eat. You see, one thing you'll notice about Satan, and this is incredibly important, Satan always wants to put the focus, the, the impetus on the temporary, the physical. He, he always wants to put the focus on this life now. The Spirit of God always wants to put the focus on the life to come, the eternal. We see this over and over and over again. Let's look at the, the second temptation. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, Satan here is quoting Scripture. Perhaps he thought, okay, Jesus, you, you quote Scripture, I, I can do the same thing. And what he does, he reaches back into the book of Psalms. And he brings out this incredible promise of protection. And he tries to get Jesus to wrongly apply it. Now this promise is an incredible promise. Let's look at it. Psalms 91. And this is something we're probably all familiar with. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand may fall at your right hand, but it won't come near you. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now that is an awesome promise of protection to those that belong to God. Okay, so so uh, Satan leans, you know, looks back into the Old Testament, pulls that 
that promise out, which Jesus would have been very familiar with. And he says to Jesus, if this promise is true, if you are truly God's son, if you truly are who you say you are, then let's put that word to the test. Just throw yourself down from this, uh, from the pinnacle of this temple. Put yourself in a, a situation where suffering is inevitable and God has to save you. He has to because of this promise. Once again, Satan is doing the exact same. He's following the same modus operandi. He always tries to put the focus on the physical. He'll protect you in this life. Even if he has to quote scripture to do it. But see, that was deceptive then and it's still deceptive today. Now, once again, Jesus answers with a quote from Deuteronomy, this time chapter 6. He says, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, Jesus knew that that promise is first and foremost a promise of spiritual protection. First and foremost, that is a promise of protection from divine judgment. That if you belong to God, you are protected. They can kill you, they can do it, but they cannot touch that spiritual life that's within inside of you. Listen, I know we know this. Jesus said, John 16, 33, on this, in, in this world, on this earth, you will have trials and sorrows. He told us that. Matthew 10, 28, he said this, don't be afraid of those who can only kill you. They cannot touch your soul. See, Jesus is always putting the focus. He's not, it's not about this world. It's about the world to come. But Satan always wants to make it about this life. Let's look at the third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you'll just fall down and worship me. Now, I guess Satan thought Jesus would be repulsed by suffering, but he wasn't. So in this final temptation, he just he discards suffering. He, he just takes that completely out of the toolbox. And he says, okay, he goes straight to the offer of success. Maybe Jesus would be attracted to that. So this is what he says. Here's health. Here's wealth. Here's, here's prosperity behind, behind, beyond your wildest dreams. Sound familiar? But you see, the price was exceedingly high. And that would be his soul. That would be to abandon God the Father and worship Satan. Now, without any hesitation, Jesus makes the reason for his refusal abundantly clear. Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only. You shall serve. Now, the reason I brought those three things up is because I wanted you to see the common theme. And the common theme is this. The temptation from Satan is always to make comfort in this life our primary goal. Let me say that again. Regardless of what the temptation involves, whether it's suffering or whether it's success or whether it's a combination or whatever, the primary goal is for us, Satan tries to get us to make comfort in this life our primary focus. We, we see this all over the Bible, not only in the temptations of Jesus, but in other places as well. For example, we saw this in the life of Peter. You see, Peter, who's writing this letter, he's personally experienced this. Look at Matthew 16, 21 to 23. It says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples 
that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Now watch what he said. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, you, you've listened. That's, that's Satan in a nutshell. He'll try to get you to set your mind on this life, on the things of this life, not on the things to come, not on the things of God. That's always what he tries to do. Now, in today's passage, Peter's going to deal specifically with Satan and how he tries to use suffering. Okay? Now, we need to pay attention to Peter because as, as we just saw, he knows what he's talking about. He's, he's had experience, personal experience uh, in this thing. So let's talk a little bit about the roaring lion. Look at verse 8. Peter says, Be sober-minded and be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, in the Bible, Satan is sometimes described in different ways. For example, he's sometimes described as a serpent. The Bible also says he will disguise himself as an angel of, of light. Now, those two descriptions deal with a certain aspect of Satan, how he is subtle. He can be very hidden. He can be... Uh, very quiet. Excuse me, he can be deceptive. But that's not the case here. What Paul, what Peter's talking about here is not a sneak attack. There's nothing deceptive. This is full, direct, frontal attack. You see, the point here by calling him a roaring lion is to emphasize his power, not his craftiness. It's not about subtleness. It's not about deception. The roaring lion's not being deceptive. He's going around roaring. It's about his, his power. So what exactly is the power of Satan? How does he devour someone? Well, let's look at verse 9. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You see, what Peter is saying is the roaring draws of the lion is the suffering of believers. You, you see, in suffering, he is trying to devour Christians. But devour them how? Is he trying to kill them? No. That's, that's, that's not the point with him. It's not about killing the body. It's about destroying your faith. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy what's spiritual inside of us. What he's trying to do is devour our faith. So Peter says, resist him. Well, how, Peter? Well, he says, stand firm in your faith. In Revelation 2.10, there's just a wonderful verse. I've read this several times this week. These are the words of Jesus, by the way. He says this, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful. Same thing Peter says. Resist him firm in the faith. Stand firm. Be faithful in your suffering. In this case, G, uh, Peter, uh, uh, Jesus says, Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown uh, of life. See, both of things these are telling us that successfully resisting the devil doesn't mean he can't kill you. 
It means he can only kill you, but he can't do you any ultimate harm. And remember, he can only do what God allows him to do. Peter's already told us that in 1 Peter 4.19, let those who suffer according to God's will. Now, I hope you can see the difference between Satan as a snake and Satan as a, a lion. As a snake, the point is deception. As a, as a lion, the point is his direct attack through suffering. You see, the hardest thing about suffering is not that it sneaks up on you. That's, that's not the hardest thing. The hardest thing about suffering is that it can overwhelm your faith with anxiety, with worry, with fear, and of course with, with pain. In fact, it can devour your faith because suffering always comes with questions. Does God really care about me anymore? Does God really have any power to help me? Does God even exist? Now, I want to give one quick side note if I can. There is a, a false teaching being proclaimed from many of our pulpits around this country. It, it is an error perpetuated by preachers who are looking to attract followers. They're, they're looking to tickle the ears of people who they want to hear a certain thing. And these men and women, they get up in our pulpits, they get on our television screens, they get on our radios, and they assure us that Christ's death on Calvary means the end of suffering and the end of Satan in this life. And what they'll do is they'll tell us he's powerless if you only have enough faith. Now let me tell you, that teaching originates with Satan. That is a satanic teaching. That's exactly what Satan wants us to believe, that godly people should not suffer because it's a lie. The godly do suffer. We've seen it over and over in lesson after lesson here in 1 Peter. We just read it in 1 Peter 4.9, those who suffer according to God's will. I read this week over in China where uh, some low-income Christians, disabled Christians, elderly Christians are going to have their government assistance cut off if they don't uh, renounce Jesus Christ. I mean, this is, this is going on all over the, the world. And, and see, it, when you listen to those false teachers and you accept that error, see, then what that does, it causes you eventually to question your faith and question your God because the suffering goes on. You don't get out of it. Well, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with God? See, at the very time you need your faith and the very time you need God, that teaching questions makes you question both of them. See, this is why Peter says the lion is roaring. The roaring of the lion is the power of suffering to destroy our faith. And by the way, these false teachers are helping Satan do exactly that. So what is, how, do we, how do we fight back? What does Peter say? Well, he tells us to be sober-minded and watchful. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Again, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, here's the thing. The point here is not that Satan can sneak up on you. After all, he's roaring. He's not trying to sneak up on anybody. The point is that when you fight a lion, you better not be drunk, you better not be asleep, and you better not be distracted. When suffering comes, when the roaring of that lion comes into your life, you need all of your spiritual faculties. He's already told us, don't be surprised when it happens. 
Know who your God is. Know His Word. Know what He says about suffering. Understand, as we've seen here today, how Satan works. And of course, be filled with the Spirit and cast your cares on Him in, in prayer. Be alert. Be strong. Be, be watchful. Know all of these things and stand firm even when the suffering goes on. One other thing I want to talk about here is who causes the suffering? Listen, we've said numerous times in previous lessons that God is behind our suffering. Once again, we just said it, 1 Peter 4.19, those who suffer according to God's will. But in today's passage, we're saying that Satan is behind the suffering. So which is it? Is it God or is it, is it Satan? Well, the answer is it's both. It's, it's nothing new. We see this throughout Scripture. We saw it, we mentioned earlier, in the life of Job. We saw it in the life of Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. So here's a messenger of Satan that comes against Paul and, and harasses him. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. But who gave, who allowed that to happen? Well, we can tell it's God because the whole purpose was to keep him from becoming conceited. Satan has no interest in that. Satan wants to destroy faith. So God is involved in this, right? You see, when the devil, his design is destructive pain. Again, we've said it numerous times. He wants to devour. But in the exact same suffering, God's design can be purification and holiness and power. So, Here's, the, here's one more question. Is this just a game? Let me tell you what I mean by that. Peter says, your adversary the devil is looking to devour. Now let me tell you, devour doesn't mean scratch. Devour doesn't mean maul. Devour doesn't mean to just wound. Devour means to chew up and swallow. It means to, to completely destroy. It means ultimate ruin. As I said earlier, it means the devil aims to take people with him to the lake of fire. So can true Christians really be devoured? Can true faith really be destroyed by the devil? Well, look what Peter says. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Well, now, if we can't be devoured under any circumstances, why would Peter say that? I mean, is this just a is this just a game, a, a war where everybody's shooting blanks? Is it is it real? See, I don't think so. I think devouring is real and resisting is real. And what is at stake is heaven and hell. So let's go back to the question: Can true Christians really be devoured by the devil? No, no, they cannot. We we've seen it time and time and time again in Scripture. True Christians, true born-again Christians will always resist the devil firm in their faith. See, that's what it means to be a born-again Christian. You have God's power. You have the Spirit inside of it, you enabling you to, um, to, to, to last to the end, to endure to the end. Let me show you this in Peter's own words. 1 Peter 1.5 says this. We, we learned this several weeks ago. Peter says, Who by God's power are being guarded for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, what this tells us is that God is guarding us. He's watching over us. He's got a salvation, 
a final salvation in eternity in heaven with him. And he's guarding us to make sure that we get there. Now, let me tell you, when you're being guarded by God, you're guarded. Nobody can get to you. Now, I want you to watch. How is he guarding us? Through faith. How is he guarding us? Through our faith. See, God says, I will keep you eternally secure by my power, but I'm going to do it through your faith. So how foolish would it be for someone to think or say that you could be eternally secure apart from a life of faith? Philippians 1.6, Paul says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.8, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the days of our uh, Lord Jesus. Romans 8.29-30, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. And those whom he predestined, he called. The ones he called, he justified. And the ones he justified, he glorified. See, God is going to bring us safely through this jungle of, of life. He's going to keep us from being devoured by this roaring lion. But he does it by his power through our faith. So if someone comes to me and says, you know what? I believe I'm I'm eternally secure, so I don't need to resist the devil. I'm going to say, you're contradicting God and you're contradicting his word. Because God says that's exactly how I will make sure you, you make it to the end. You see, the true Christian, the one who's born again, the one who's been regenerated, the one who is called by God, never does that. We are faithful to the end. And that shows that we were truly born of God. One last thing, and that is our assurance. Look at verses 10 to 11. Peter says, And after you have suffered for just a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What this verse promises is is this. If God called you to his glory, he's going to get you to his glory. A little suffering in the meantime is not going to stop him. This is Peter's way of saying exactly what we just saw Paul say in Romans 8.30. Whom God justifies, he glorifies. Paul said it, Peter said it. It's a promise. And that promise is for you. I urge you to take it, and I urge you to bank on it. And listen, you may be out there today and say, well, that I just don't know if that's for me, man. I'm not qualified. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not strong enough. Watch what, you see, did you miss what he said? The God of all grace. The God of all grace. See, that's our final encouragement to believe in that promise. It's not about you. It's about the God of grace. You don't deserve it. You don't merit it. You didn't earn it. He does it just because he wants to do it. To him belongs dominion forever and ever. You know, dominion means superior strength. God has dominion over the devil. When he promises to get us home, he can do it and he will do it. For dominion belongs to the Lord. Father, thank you for this wonderful lesson uh, in Peter. God, help us to stand firm in our faith. Father, we know that, as Peter said, all across the world today, our brothers and sisters are enduring suffering. The the lion is roaring. But God, I just pray for them as I pray for the, the members of my own community and my own family and my own church, God. Help us, through your power, 
as I know you will do, to stand firm in the faith no matter what comes. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.